Morning. Hey, before we get started here, we found a little pendant of some kind or maybe an earring piece might belong to somebody. Um, if anybody recognizes it, we have it up here. Yeah, a little glass ball with a little flower. Okay. <laughs> well, good morning. I think now it's uh, plenty past Thanksgiving that I can say ha Merry Christmas. Yes. Not Happy Christmas, right? <laughs> Merry Christmas. I know, I don't know, do you guys ever kind of get nostalgic at this time of year? Um, I know I do. I mean, I am a nostalgic type of guy. You know, I think about things, you know, especially when the snow starts to fly. You know, and it and it's came pretty early this year, and I don't know how some of y'all feel about that. I know that some doesn't like it a lot. Others, you know, are quite okay with it. I like it. Um, it's a lot more work, and it's a lot harder to get around and do a lot of things, but I do enjoy it when it starts to come around. And, and, it, and it makes me start to just kind of think about things, you know, in my childhood years. Um, you know, especially as Christmas time gets closer here. Uh, as the weather starts to change, you know, certain sights and smells, they just they start to bring back memories. Kind of a, of a time, you know, that really did seem a little, little simpler, right? And, well, now that winter starts so early, I've been kind of thinking this way for quite a while now. You know, I grew up in a little little town. It wasn't so little, I guess, but in eastern Oregon, Baker City, eastern Oregon. And back in the early 80s, music and, and radio were a very important part of my life. Uh, my mom, she loved to play music. And she really loved to play music for my grandpa. Um, we'd spend most of our holidays at grandma and grandpa's place and mom would get on the get on the piano and she'd play you know old folk songs or, or christmas songs this time of year and you know she'd even play the accordion and sometimes even the fiddle and so living in baker valley at that time there was only a couple radio stations that you could get you either had country radio or you had talk radio that's all you had to listen to. So we also had some had TV out living out in the country. You know, we had probably four stations if the weather was clear. Uh, you know, you probably had CBS, NBC, ABC, and PBS. And that was it. Uh, everybody else in town, you know, they had they had all their cable stations. You know, at that time. But so you know, I grew up listening to you know, music like the Gatlin Brothers and, you know, George Strait and Reba and maybe even a little Willie and Waylon in there sometimes, you know. And, and then, uh, you know, our, our homes would be filled in the, in the Christmas time, you know, with Christmas music from all of these country stars. You know, and we may even be hearing uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you know, sung by the Peanuts or something, you know, mixed in with, mixed in there. In the afternoons, I remember listening to, you know, these short radio programs. Um, some of you may have known them. Uh, Baxter Black, you know, the cowboy poet, and, and, and Paul Harvey. Now, Paul Harvey, he was my favorite. I mean, I loved listening to his stories. There was no one that could tell a story quite like Paul Harvey. I mean, except maybe my grandpa, you know. 
<laughs> but um, I just, I, and I really loved listening to Paul Harvey's Christmas messages. Now, if you've never heard of Paul Harvey um, or never listened to any of his, his stories on the radio, I really think kind of you've missed out on a lot of Americana. You know, there was just so much that he had to say. Paul Harvey hosted a radio station. It began in the early 50s, and he hosted this clear up until he passed away in 2009. And he's most famous for his the rest of the story programs, right? He would, he would start a lot of his stories describing a, a certain period of time, um, you know, what was kind of happening around our country or around the world during this time. And then he'd kind of introduce a central character that he wanted to talk about. Um, he gave you a little bit of a background, you know, which, which would set up this second portion of his program, which would start out with the line, you know, now here's the rest of the story. So if I was Paul Harvey and I was telling the Christmas story, it may have gone a little something like this. Hello, fellow Americans. I'm going to take you on a little trip into the past. And we're going to find ourselves in the year 6 BC, on a clear, crisp night in the heart of Judea. Now the Roman Empire, they had seized control of the land of Canaan 57 years earlier. And so the people of Israel had been subject to their rule for quite some time now. But the most faithful believed that better days were to come. So follow me now as we take a little journey down through Israel with a young royal couple, if you will, whose names are Joseph and Mary. Now they're on a trip to the city of David, to this little town of Bethlehem. And in these days, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus had called for a great census to be conducted. And every man was to take his family down to their ancestral homes. And this way, Rome could count everybody and collect their taxes. Well, when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, there were already so many people there, and they couldn't find a place to stay. But on this faithful night, a stable was opened up for them. And something happened that had been prophesied 700 years earlier. For you see, Mary was with child. And on this beautiful night, a baby boy was born. But this was no ordinary baby boy. This was the Messiah, our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. And when this miracle of miracles happened... An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds out in the fields attending to their flocks. Now, right about this time in his monologue, Paul Harvey would usually break into a commercial. You know, and it was about carburetor parts or, you know, or brake pads or household goods, you know. It's, it's whatever else advertisers, you know, would want to pay him to endorse. And he said, he said, I am fiercely loyal to those who would be willing to put their money where my mouth is. <laughs> and after this break, he would, uh, he would just effort, effortlessly glide right back into the story. 
It says, Now the shepherds were struck speechless and scared. But the angel of the Lord told them that they do not need to be afraid. The angel didn't come to bring down judgment upon these men, but he came to bring good news and hope for a future long awaited by God's chosen people. The angel told of the birth of the Messiah and where these shepherds could go. And now these shepherds, they were full of joy and excitement over what had been told to them. And they left their flocks and they went to town to find their Savior. They found the child lying in a manger just as the angel had promised. And they told Joseph and Mary everything that had happened and what was told to them out in the pastures. And the parents were amazed by this news because they had been told by the angel Gabriel that this child was going to save their people. And here were these shepherds telling them the exact same thing. It was truly a glorious night and one that would change the world forever. And now, the rest of the story. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to stop right here imitating the Paul Harvey show because I'm, I'm sure I'm probably you know, butchering it by now, you know. And I don't think I really have enough time right now to tell you the whole entire rest of the story. But what we're going to kind of zoom in on today is we're going to focus on the faith of Mary and Joseph. We're going to take a look at this through the times before and after Jesus' birth. We're going to take a look at how their faith in God has caused a series of events to play out as we know them. And as Christians, we all have a measure of faith, but the faith that we're going to witness here helped to change the course of mankind. So God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary. She was a virgin betrothed to Joseph, who was a descendant of King David, to announce to her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Now you can imagine just how this would have been a little shocking to hear, right? Here's a girl, she's probably no older than 16, maybe 17, being told by an angel that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. Now, Mary could have said, No, 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 you don't. I am getting married to Joseph in a couple weeks. We're going to the sea, and we have a villa. We're going to go on our honeymoon. You know, when we get back, We'll settle down. We'll have lots of kids then. You know, you're not going to put this scandal upon us right now. But that's not what Mary said. Because Mary believed God. So she told Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary didn't argue, contemplate about whether or not she should agree to this. Mary had complete faith that God would carry through on his promises. 
to see to it that this child would come to reign over all the descendants of Jacob. And there's another important part here in Mary's story. Instead of saying to Gabriel that this is impossible, Mary asks, how can this be? I am still a virgin. See, there's a difference between unbelief and having a questioning faith. And we can see the contrast in this in the passage that's at the beginning of Luke. In chapter 1, verse 18, we see Zechariah is told by the, the angel Gabriel that his wife Elizabeth, who couldn't conceive, was pregnant. Now, verse 18 says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be assured of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah sought proof about what the angel said, and he wanted to see evidence of this miracle with his own eyes. But Mary believed the words of God. It may have seemed so amazing you know, that she just didn't understand how it could happen, but she believed that it would. Luke 1 Verses 35 through 36. Gabriel says, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Now, verse 37 goes on to say probably one of the most important statements of faith in the whole Bible. For no word of God will ever fail. And that's all it took for Mary to believe. It was God's infallible word. So now let's take a look at things kind of from Joseph's point of view. And I'm sure you can just imagine what Joseph thought about this at first. You now here he is engaged to be married to Mary, but now she tells him he's pregnant. And not only pregnant, but this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She is now carrying the Son of God. Joseph probably thought, oh man, she found a rich dude. She got Pregnant, and now she's trying to make up this crazy story and try to cover it up. But that's not what Joseph, that's not who Joseph is. Joseph was a man that showed great compassion and a desire to do things in a way that brought glory to God. This God that he loved. Well, he had ideas to leave Mary, but he would do it discreetly because he did not want to disgrace Mary. And as Joseph, he was faithful to the law, and that's what the law had called for in this kind of a situation. But let's turn to Matthew 1. We're going to read verses 20 and 21. In these verses, we're going to see that, that God always has a 
better plan than ours. He says, but after he considered this, and now we're talking about Joseph and considering this divorce from Mary. Do not be afraid. Oh, I'm sorry. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph believed what God told him about Mary and the child, and he fulfilled his vows to take Mary as his wife. There's probably not a better example of faith-filled parents than Mary and Joseph. See, these two have been thrust into one of the most implausible parenthoods imagined. And Joseph and Mary may not have known exactly what was going to come after the birth of Jesus, but they were going to follow all of God's commandments and the covenants because not only did they believe in God, but they believed God. So let's turn our Bibles to Luke 2, verses 21 to 24. In these verses, they talk about how Mary and Joseph fulfilled the Mosaic laws of circumcision, of consecration of the firstborn son, and also the purification rites of the mother. These verses show how their obedience exemplifies their faith. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Mary and Joseph knew that the baby Jesus was a gift to the world. And as faith-filled parents, obedient children of God, they were going to do just as God had commanded. The Mosaic laws, they talk about purification rites after childbirth in Leviticus 12. There was a period of seven days that followed the birth of a male child that the woman was considered ceremonially unclean. And following this time, on the eighth day, the child was to be circumcised. And then there was to be another 33-day period when the woman was unable to enter the sanctuary or touch any holy things. After this time, the firstborn son was to be brought to the temple to be consecrated to the Lord, as is according to the law of Moses found in Exodus 13. So as we read in verses 21 through 24, this was just what Mary and Joseph did. They brought the child to be circumcised and formally given the name Jesus, as the angel told Joseph to do 
And this act fulfilled prophecy from 700 years before when Isaiah told of the virgin birth and the child would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And after that, Jesus was brought to the temple in Jerusalem to be presented before the Lord as the firstborn male child. Sacrifice was then offered to the Lord, one that was a sin offering and one of a burnt offering. And the reason why I talked about these ceremonies is that there's extreme significance in what each of these occasions did. That not only did they fulfill the law of the Lord, but they also identified Jesus with his Jewish covenant people. Our faith can lead us to do things for God that have consequences that are beyond our understanding. And Mary and Joseph's faithful obedience to God's decrees, they set the stage for the whole world to come and know Jesus as man and God. We see that the child that was born of the Holy Spirit is not just the Son of God. We can see that He is also the Son of David. Jesus came to this world faithful to the will of the Father. And as Philippians 2 says, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance, as a man He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death upon a cross. You know, we face trials every day. Someday they're kind of minor, like setting your keys down and not knowing where you put them. And now you're late for work. Minor in comparison. Some days we face trials that are much bigger. We hear of and we experience things like sickness, both physically and spiritually. We find death of loved ones. We can lose our jobs. We can lose our homes. Sometimes we'll, we'll wreck the only car we own. These things are big trials. They're big hurdles in our lives. And these are the times when our faith will determine how we come through. Do we have a solid rock to stand on? Or we build our house on sand. When Jesus was born, the Magi, they came from the east to Jerusalem because they saw the sign in the sky. They saw the star of David. It signified that the king of the Jews had been born. And when King Herod heard about this, he was very upset. He didn't want anyone challenging his authority as king in Judea. Herod told the Magi to go and find this new king because he wanted to pay respect and worship him. But Herod had no intention of worshiping the Messiah at all. He would kill Jesus as soon as he was found. And this was where Mary and Joseph's faith were put to the test. Because in a dream, Joseph was told to flee that very night to Egypt to escape Herod. There's no ambiguity in this command from God. He 
said, go now, take your family and flee. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Faith isn't just something that we have or are born with. Faith is a gift that's given to us by God, by the hearing of His Word. When God said to go, there was no hesitancy at all. That very night, Joseph took his family and they left for Egypt, not knowing what lay ahead of them. Would they find safe refuge? Would they ever be able to come back home? They weren't assured of what was ahead of them, but they believed in the providence of God. And by faithfulness, they left and fled to Egypt. See, these examples of faithfulness seen in Mary and Joseph, they showed a willingness to accept and follow God's plan for their lives. I know in my own life, there's been times that I've, that I've prayed and felt God lead me in a direction. It was one that I definitely wouldn't have chosen for myself. And I have to admit that I, I didn't obey God as readily as I see Mary and Joseph doing here in this story. That's why this story is, is so amazing, and it's, it's an inspiration for my life, for all of our lives. Mary accepted God's plan to carry the Son of God. Joseph accepted God's plan to, mar to marry Mary, and be the earthly father of Jesus. They faithfully fulfilled the Mosaic laws as well as naming their child Jesus. They both accepted the warning to leave and flee to Egypt. God does present opportunities to believe Him in faith and to work as His hands and feet on the earth. All of these things they represent fulfillment of prophecy. And that fulfillment reminds us that everything that God says will come true. Just as verse 37 in Luke 1 said, for no word from God will ever fail. And this is where our faith finds its foundations. I remember the first time looking at my son Finn in his mother's arms. And it was the most amazing sight I had ever seen. And I felt that same amazing feeling when I was holding Emmett for the first time. Now, along with this amazing feeling of love that I had for these boys, there was also this feeling of, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? And I can imagine Joseph looking down at the baby Jesus and thinking those same things. What am I going to do now? Well, even though I don't know what our future was going to look like, I was determined to be the best father that I could be. I, I think demonstrating faith like what Mary and Joseph had is one of the best things that we can show to our kids. And you know, when God got a hold of Kathleen and I, with the truth of His Word, 
and he brought us to faith. This was the greatest thing that could ever have happened to our family. I want my children to know God's blessings. I want them to know that for their entire lives. And if they can witness how faith and blessings are interconnected, then I feel like I've accomplished at least a part of what God has asked of me. There are many things that we can do as parents to show our faith. We can lead lives that show our thoughtfulness to others, our brothers and sisters. We can show our kindness and our compassion to each other. We can worship God together and spend time in the Word, in prayer, scripture readings, Bible studies. We can show patience and understanding toward our children. Our kids will learn from our example, and they too will discover that faith is a gift. So as I'm getting ready to, to wrap this up, and there's a Christmas pun intended. <laughs> I have this question to ask you guys. Do we believe God? Do we believe what God tells us? Do we have faith the promises that God makes in Scripture will be fulfilled? Did Mary and Joseph travel from Nazareth to Egypt and back again so we could have a few days off from work this time of year? Did Jesus come into this world as a baby to give his life for us so we could have a holiday to give gifts to each other? Well, of course not. And as Christians, we understand this. But the rest of the world doesn't see it the same way. The rest of the world doesn't even see Jesus in Christmas. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, tells us to go out into this world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that he will surely be with us to the end of the age. Do we believe this? Because if we do, we should not fear to proclaim the Word of God. We should be ready to go and take that good news everywhere with us and proclaim it out ahead of us. The gospel story of Jesus, His birth, death, and resurrection is what we as Christians are called to spread throughout this world. God has prepared all of us to go out with his world this Christmas season. And tell the Christmas story to anyone who will hear. We've been placed in families and in work sites, in communities, and even in churches purposefully. This was God's plan. God wants us to faithfully step out and proclaim his word so others can come and know the gift of faith. The faithfulness of Mary and Joseph was a channel 
through which God accomplished something that was bigger than the both of them. So this Christmas, as we celebrate differently and we experience various trials and challenges, we can look at the faith of Mary and Joseph, who endured a variety of trials and hardships themselves. And we can find encouragement, and we can hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus. I encourage you at this time to be inspired by the faith of Mary and Joseph, and ask God to increase your own faith. The angels knew when they told the shepherd that this was a story of great joy, and that it was meant for the entire world. Well, share your joy, my friends, this season. And now you know the rest of the story. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time of year, Lord. When, when we come together as family and friends, Lord, we celebrate what you have done for us. Lord, you have given us this gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to save us, Lord, who came to teach us your ways, who came to die upon a cross for us, that we may have an eternal life with you. Lord, we thank you so much. God, we just ask you to help us be bold as we walk through these doors. We let others know of what you have done for them. That we will proclaim that Jesus loves you to everyone we see. Or we just ask you just bless the rest of our day today, God, that it may be one that we will love you in. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.